PTF here, and before we get started, just want to remind folks that Monday is an absolutely huge day of thoroughbred racing in North America, and we're going to have it covered for you in four separate shows that are going to be dropping this weekend. Easiest way to keep track, honestly, is probably if you just subscribe to the In The Money newsletter. We'll put that on a Monday. It'll link to everything, inthemoneypodcast.com slash email for that one. We're going to be covering Pimlico, mandatory payout on Monday nearly half a million, I think, going to be forced out in that one. That's one to pay attention to. Lone Star, you'll hear about them later in the show, but uh, we've got a special show for that. Big contest day there. All kinds of exciting stuff happening. Big card at Santa Anita. They're forcing it out as well, and they've got uh, three grade ones on offer for that one. And also at Belmont, we've got the big New York day with some great racing, some big stakes, special show for that one coming as well. We're going to have a video version of that one too. Again, best way to keep track of all of it in the moneypodcast.com slash email. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Podcast. This is our show for Thursday, May 26th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you from the Brooklyn Bunker, once again, surrounded by some new toys. I've got the exciting boombox back there. We're going to talk about that on some subsequent shows. I've got this fresh shirt. It's almost as cool as a JK shirt. Do you know Do you know the significance? Well, I'll ask you, first I'll introduce you, then I'm going to ask you if you know the significance of this shirt. The man I'm going to bring in to kick off the show with me is a man you see on these airwaves all the time. We haven't had him on yet to talk about uh, what happened in the Preakness Stakes. We'll get to that. We're also going to talk about his, uh, his little side project he's been working on this week, as well as the stated purpose of the visit to look ahead to the Belmont Stakes. He is uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Jonathan Kinchin. What's up, JK? What's going on? Yeah, is that, is that Star Wars? It is a Star Wars shirt, but it's even more specific than that. It's the pattern of, and this is, you know, this is our, our 10-year generation gap, nine-year actually, uh, generation gap. This was the design of the first Star Wars bedsheets um, that I had oh. as a kid, that I, I got in, you know, 1977 or whatever. And, uh, and so wait, as soon as I saw it, I was like, yeah, we're going to get that. Because... The other significance of it is, and you'll appreciate this. So parents totally into Star Wars. May 4th, when you work in horse racing, May 4th, the Star Wars holiday, may the 4th be with you. A little bit of a problem because it can be derby week, uh, depending on when the derby falls, which it was this year. She was mad at me when I told her I wasn't going to be around. She was doubly mad at me when I described the parade that I witnessed in downtown Lexington with a girl around her age uh, carrying around a replica of Kylo Ren's lightsaber. She wasn't happy about that. So I told her, look, end of the month, Star Wars celebration is happening. They're going to be dropping two episodes of the new Kenobi show. We're going to do our own daddy-daughter makeup Star Wars day. That's tomorrow. That's why we're recording all this stuff early. But I figured I'd, bring, I'd give the shirt a little test run. What do you think? Makes sense. Makes total sense. <laughs> the things we have to do in horse racing sometimes when we have small children. Yeah, I tell you what, uh, uh, Halloween's always tough too. Breeders' Cup. Yeah, 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 that's a horrible conflict that we face uh, in this. Not that, not that we want you to get out the world's smallest violin, given all the fun world traveling we get to do, watching horses run around in circles. But it does come with a price. Speaking of traveling, you're, you're clearly back at the uh, Casa Rojo at the moment. 
but uh, you had some you had an interesting little uh, couple days early in the week at the sale. Now, I know you're going to talk about it in great detail on the owner's box with Billy and Michelle. So we can leave people there for the deep dive, but just give us the quick uh, iteration. Did you, did you come away? What was the project about? Did you come away with anything? Yeah, you know, FaZe Tipton, Boyd Browning, and, and Evan Ferraro kind of approached me about doing some different things uh, throughout the year with, with them. And one of the ideas we came up with is kind of a documentary of, of JK buying his first horse and, and, um, and, and letting that be, you know, obviously kind of fun and education. I mean, fun and interesting just to kind of see behind the scenes, but also to be educational. And like, this is the process. This is what you have to do. Here are the pitfalls. Here are the things that, you know, here are the steps and, um, and, and so we teamed up with the Hennigan brothers and who, who obviously have done some really fun and cool stuff in racing. And, and we, and, and I teamed up with, with Maddie and Jake, Maddie, Matt Miller and Jake Ballas at black type. And we decided to, to find a couple of horses. And so, um, day one, we didn't get any day two. We did get a couple. So we have a, a Mosler Colt that we got for 165,000 and a Malibu moon Philly we got for 500,000 and, and both will be going to, uh, to George Weaver and, and they'll be in Saratoga and hopefully they'll run the summer. That's fantastic. Yeah. The two-year-old in training sale, the plan is sounds like both of those, the angle from two-year-old in training sales for folks that don't know, um, you know, this is one we've talked about. All right. We talked about this for 20 years, going back to the zero shows with Harvey path. But when you see the horse in the two-year-old in training sale sell for a multiple of the sire's stud fee, that typically means they're fast. I'm, I'm guessing that's very much the case with both of those runners that you're involved in based on the price tags you, the, the, that I, I believe they were. Yeah, well, in Mosler, I, I, I'll be honest. And I think people on this show and you especially people know that like I have a weird, I'm not Nick Tamaro, but I have a weird memory for things when it comes to racing. And I had to Google who Mosler was when you <laughs> mentioned this is what we're looking at. I, Mott, I didn't know who he was. Sprinter, a Mott Sprinter, that's all I kind of remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He won. He won a couple times going longer, but he's a he's a son of Warfront. So you know, I, there's a sneaky way I think that you're thinking you're getting some Warfront influence there. And then the Malibu Moon Philly, who who has a, a pretty strong family, um, it was good. But then the other cool thing about it is, and then we'll you know, obviously we'll move on. Is like there was good underbidders on the horses that we tried to get. That makes you feel good For when sure. there's people that are smart that were underbidders. You know, on the Malibu Moon Philly, uh, Donato was an underbidder. Uh, on the Donato Lani, of course, of, of, of fame of all kinds of really good horses. And then Jonathan Thomas. A lot of the Baffert, of the Baffert runners for the, for the yep. uninitiated he's picked out. Had and then time. Jonathan Thomas was, was the underbidder on the, one of the underbidders on the, uh, on the, on the uh, Mosler. So, you know, we feel good about it. We feel good about I it. I think we can relate to that from, from, you know, we're, we're not at the sales like you, JK, uh, putting up our hands. Did you physically put up your hand? Did they yeah, make yeah, you yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, there'll be a fun little there's a fun little thing in there. Me trying to figure out how I was going to do it. I wanted to wear sunglasses and go like this, but everyone told me I shouldn't, so I did something different. <laughs> I think that was probably wise. Let's not reinvent the wheel. But when you're in your fantasy auction, you know there's that that one guy who finishes last every year, and when you're in the bidding war with him at the end, and you know he's a Red Sox fan, and you're you're bidding on Trevor Story, you're like, oh my god, what am I doing? Whereas, you know, the sharp person that, that uh, finishes in the top three every year, you, you, you're, you're okay ending up with the, in the bidding war with them and you think you might be on the right track. All right, yeah. let's talk about horse racing. Not, uh, you know, horse racing, like in terms of not what's going to happen this summer, but what's happening right now and going to be happening in the next few weeks. Let's actually start by looking forward to the Belmont Stakes, if only because that's what the neat little, Tyler, uh, the neat little uh, title card, the Tyler design says. 
Belmont Stakes, early thoughts on this race. Obviously, the headliner is Rich Strike. You have been on record as being, I'm just going to say, a little cynical. I'll, 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 I'll soft pedal it and say you've been a little cynical about the horse's chances. As this race now is taking shape, as we see that we're not going to have Epicenter, we'll get to him in a bit. We're not going to have early voting. Uh, we're not going to have various runners show up. Are you any more enthused about Rich Strike's chances to back up that miracle run in the Derby? Or are you still, to use your words, cutting in line to bet against him? No, yeah, I'm, 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 I, will, I will officially be cutting in line to bet against <laughs> Rich Strike. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, do, I think Mo Donegal will probably be favored. Don't you think the same? Or It's so interesting. I, I would have said yes. I would have said yes. But I wonder if all the attendant hype on Rich Strike, I don't think he's going to be any kind of price. Let's put it that way. I think he'll be, I think when you just look at their paper, based on who's shown up, I think the one but when you look down at his paper and you see Kentucky Derby and a one at the end of the running line and every headline he's made, you know, this is a story that really resonated with not just horse racing fans, but sports fans. And I do think you'll have, you, you might see more rich strike money on his comeback race, certainly than you did with a charismatic or a mind that bird horses that were, you know, six, eight to one in their next starts. I think, you know, and I'll take a look at what's going on in the international betting. I hadn't, Post fail. Hadn't thought to pull that up before the show. But let me tell you a fun, a fun rich strike strike story while you're doing that. So one yeah, day please. at the sale, uh, and I won't say the person's name, but I was introduced to like this kind of old timer legendary trainer guy, right? I mean, I, the, guy, the guy had to be 85. Okay. And you know, I walk Not up, Wayne Lucas. No, and, you know, I walk up and he hits me with the. He this guy might have been 90. He hits me with the. I'll book all your bets or something like that. You know, oh, he's okay. being nice, but being cheeky, like, oh, okay, big fella. Like, all right, good to see you. How you doing? And then he starts telling stories and it's always nice to hear, you know, stories from whatever. And then he asks me, which is one thing I hate more than anything is when you ask me my opinion and then you want to argue with me. <laughs> Why did you, you asked me. So what, next time say, hey, do you want to have a debate about this? And then I can say, no, thank you. But don't ask me. So he says, what do you think of the Derby winner? I said, he'll never win another race. And I don't feel bad because I said, there's no way this man's watching YouTube. And you haven't named him anyway. You'll tell me no, after, I hope. No. And, and then he says, I said, he'll never win another race. And then he proceeds to tell me why he's one of the greatest Derby winners ever. Oof, that's a tough argument to make. And at no point did he take any account the, the pace, but he was just saying like how the horse, you know, how he worked out that trip and how he finished and ran down those horses with perfect trips and how he had so much energy after the race. He was trying to bite the pony and he's a good horse. He's a serious. And I, I was like, okay, well, I'll keep that in mind. Like, I'm not going to argue with you about it. Like, but anyway, it makes <laughs> me, I, I don't, you know how I feel about Rich, right? Pace dynamics, I think, are something that are very, very misunderstood. I mean, I think pace dynamics, they trump bias, they trump trips. For me, they trump everything. And that's why I, to this point, am still not super impressed with Rich Strike, who, according to the current betting, 7-1 to one for the big race, with Mo Donegal, to me, an almost unbelievable uh, listed as a 9-4 to four favorite. So between 2-1 to one and 5-2. to two. As an oh. anti, maybe on the day, but for anti post, that's madness. I can't imagine. No, no, I would never. I would never. Yeah. But, but I think there's a reason that that's the case. A, a couple of reasons. One is 
if you want to call the Belmont for the modern trainer, who like who's a Belmont trainer? It's Todd Fletcher, right? Sure. Todd's horses run well in this race. Mo Donegal had a trip in the Derby where he was extremely wide all the way around there. He was a horse that people liked going into the Derby uh, and he drew the rail. So there's a million reasons why you can like Mo Donegal just for the, for the four-legged animal himself. Then you take into account that you're going to have a little Todd Pletcher involved. And I, and I think that's probably the reason why that horse is being, is taken, you know, is being priced at that point so far. If you made me make selections, unfortunately, we don't have to do this, but if you made me make Belmont selections today, he'd be no worse than my, my second choice for the reasons you mentioned. Pletcher, very good at this game. This was my derby pick. And I don't think he's just some plotter. I think it's the way things have worked out. You don't think Todd Pletcher knows that he, you know, he, he don't you think he's much more likely to get the Pletcher trip three to four lengths off grinding wide than he is, you know, to be 18 lengths out of it again? Absolutely. He'll be a lot closer. And I have to say this, so I don't forget. The gentleman also told me that rich strike is better than essential quality. But so, <laughs> so we're going to, uh, I just saw, I saw that. And I, anyways, look, this is one of those situations. I feel the same way about the Derby. I was wrong about it. I think there's three horses that can win creative minister. I think is an interesting horse who ran well in the Preakness and he's a progressive type. Um, Mo Donegal. And we, the people uh, who, who ran so impressively in the Peter Pan, I think it's another one from a speed figure standpoint that, that, that is one you want to take into account. Let's talk creative minister for one more minute. Props to Sean Borman. This was his key horse in the Preakness. He came on the airwaves. He said there was no need to split the variant that day as many other figure makers did. He felt like that should have been a hundred. That opinion looks really good after he comes back and runs a hundred in running third. And then yeah, without the top two in the race coming back. And then the other angle on him for me, the, uh, that you were, you know, sort of indicating to JK the pedigree. Um, when you look at uh, creative cause and tap, it has just had a dominant run in this race. A lot of tap it blood winning the Belmont stakes. So having that in there, I think is, I think is super duper interesting as well, as far as creative minister goes. Now, when you talk about we, the people, this is a horse I can really wear either hat on, you know, on one hand, it's this time honored path of going from the Peter Pan to the Belmont. You love the speed that the horse has. But is there some chance that he's just really dressed up one number horse off a wet track win that we're supposed to be betting against? I, I can't I can't decide. Current odds four to one. I'd call it a hold. What do you you know, obviously well, you want him in the mix if you're mentioning it was one of your three. But answer that question specifically. Well, you know, every time we have this conversation, it's 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 weird for me because I don't necessarily care what their win price is. I am more concerned on these big days with which horses am I going to connect with the other races and multi-race bets. Now, I, so I know that doesn't help everyone and, I, and I'm not trying to dodge the conversation, but like to me, we, the people is the type of horse that you, you do want to use if you're getting four to one, five to one, six to one ish. Now the horse somehow becomes a favorite in this race. Now I could see how maybe he, he feels like a, a horse you want to try to beat, but there is something to be said about this race. It, it does it creates good horses that, that run well. And then it also creates horses that don't run well, right? It's like, there's the freedom childs of the world who didn't run well. There's the tonalists of the world that did. And, and, and I think that's the trickiest part when you're trying to, to identify what to do in this spot. I, I think that, that at a racetrack like Belmont on a sloppy racetrack, I trust the figures there a little bit more than I do from other places. 
And I just think that he probably ran fast. And I actually, there was actually a trainer, a New York trainer. It's not George Weaver because I know people know him from the George. It wasn't George. It was, a, it was another one that texted me after the race and said, that is the Belmont Stakes winner. Huh, interesting. And was probably the Derby winner if Rudy would have been a little bit more aggressive. Wow. I don't know what he means by that, but just to say that there's another horseman that believes that what he saw that day was, was, was real. Um, and so, you know, I, I think a lot of it has to do with draw. A lot of it has to do with the conversations of intent, things like that. Um, but also, like I said before, and I tweeted it, but let me say it on these airwaves. I've never been more wrong about anything <laughs> in my horse racing career than Flavian Pratt is good. <laughs> Or, I'm sorry, that he's not good. good. Yeah, the same he wasn't. Wasn't never been good. more wrong. He's really damn good, and 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 that I was wrong about that. And so I think that's a bonus that to, to have him um, on this horse. He's the high figure horse with his 103 buyer speed figure coming out of that last race. And he, I agree with you. I think he's certainly interesting and in the conversation. I do. There's just some little half baked wise guy point in my brain that's not letting me like fully embrace him. But I, but he would certainly be in the mix. We talked about the Pletcher success in the race. We talked about Donegal. I think his stable mate should she turn up here and undecided as of now, but still listed on the DRF.com website could be a little bit interesting. Nest, who is second in the Oaks to Secret Oath. I thought she had a tricky trip in the Oaks that I haven't heard many people talk about. I felt like she got stuck in behind having to idle while making a move into the fast pace while Secret Oath had the clean, perfect run on the outside. But what I really like about Nest is just, again, the blood, uh, the, that curling AP Indy cross that's been so productive even if you say she's too slow, she's more of a mid-90s figure and you're going to need to run 100 to win this, the distance could close that gap for me. Am I nuts to be thinking about Nest? Well, I think there was a higher opinion of Malathot last year, right? And Todd made the decision for Malathot to not go. So if Todd were to make the decision for Nest to go, like I said, this is a Todd Pletcher race, I would trust Todd in that situation. Yeah. That's, but, that's a good, it's a good point. But I will say this as well. The one thing that kind of cancels out that logic, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, is the fact that Micropoli does own the horse and Micropoli wants to win the Belmont Stakes. Now, he owns it in partnership with Eclipse, so I don't know what the percentages are. I don't know if Mike owns 51. I don't know whatever, but it's also Eclipse is a partnership. So running in big races is good for them as well. They've you know they won that race with Taprit um, and, and the past. And, and so – there's a part of me that I don't want to say it's a full owner pick the spot if he, sh if she shows up, but Todd is also Todd and Todd can shut that down if he wants to. Yeah. I think um, so too. Read the tea I just leaf, think if she, if she shows up and Todd is saying confident things, then I will lean. If she shows up and Todd is him hawing on some, we're <laughs> taking a shot type of yeah. deal. Yeah. then I would maybe lean the other way. Honestly, you have to handicap Todd on that situation with that horse. That's my, that's, I like, that's I like that read. let's talk about some of the also rants from other triple crown races who might turn up here. Barber road shows up. Uh, what's your opinion of this horse? This horse reminds me of a horse that is very dear to my heart. And that's Icebox. ice. Cause it was, this was the biggest score I had ever had in my life on this day when Icebox was a favorite in the Belmont and everyone bet him because he came running late in that Kentucky Derby. And so everyone thinks, oh, he's going to love a mile and a half. That is not the case. 
closers do not love going from the mile and a quarter to the mile and a half. It doesn't ever work. Never works. So <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't, he's going to be overbet because of that. But let's also not forget that it was one of the fastest paces we've ever seen in the Derby. And that's why he ran the way that he did. No other horse from the Arkansas Derby ran well in that race. I, he is a complete toss for me. Won't be on a ticket. And I will giggle at people quietly when they tell me they like him. <laughs> he does have that tap at blood in the second generation being a son of race day. I don't really see it on pedigree though. I just think he's such a cool horse. He's such a fighter. He is one I'd love to see in, random midwestern derbies because i think what he lacks in speed figures he makes up for in real toughness i don't think he'll, real toughness is going to get you a classic though he'll run second in a paceless iowa derby <laughs> he's, he's he's always going to be up against it because he because of his style and i'm not look i would love to own the horse if if if, if this mosler colt or anything that the malibu millie uh, malibu moon philly turns out to be barber road mm -hmm. thank you so much thank you so much I'm not knocking him as an individual. I'm knocking him as a bet betting proposition. And that's, in this the you know, that's it. Yeah. Just in here. Uh, Skippy Longstocking comes back, had that uh, he was involved in the, actually subtly maybe a key player in the previous, the way the pace shook out. Can't wait to get your take on that, which we'll do in a minute or two. Do, do you see anything in his form or in his tape that makes you think he has a, a shot in a race like this? Um, no, not really. I mean, it, it's, you know, when you're kind of on the edge, I'm looking for figures. And he just consistently kind of runs the same figure every time. Um, I did tell Safi Joseph when I saw him at the sale that there's there's a rumor going around that he has a second best hair in racing. <laughs> he, did he, he like that he one? Yeah, 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 he laughed. He laughed. Um, he, was great. he was great on the shows in Florida. I, you know, he, he, he gave us some really good stuff, just really honest insights into his training and, and his, and his charges, you know, certainly be a great story to see him. But I, I tend to agree the 94 of the Preakness, he, you know, I talked about the distance, maybe lessening the gap and, and he does have some blood to go longer potentially, but it's, it's, it's tricky. I mean, I, I think your, your short list was, was pretty much of the one uh, there's one other horse I want to talk about before we move on. There's a couple of th horses. that will be very, very big prices. One who will be a story and, and uh, talked about for sure will be ethereal road who won the Sir Barton of uh, last weekend. Uh, he had a, got a 90 figure for that win. You know, I, I feel like he's not fast enough, but because it's Lucas, there'll be, there'll be storylines. There'll be people saying, Oh, look at how he finished at Pimlico against the bias, blah, blah, blah. And, and I think, you know, he, he's one that I'd be willing to to fade at what might still be single digit odds. I mean, not that I'm giving you a whole lot there to to make a ton of money on, but that's my thought on him. You you any more optimistic? No, I don't like him in the Sir Barton. I surely don't like him in the Belmont Stakes. No, that's fair fair enough. Let's look back to the Preakness Stakes. The big question of the day. It's been just uh, you know we we watched the race together. We had the same reaction live. We were saying making the same kind of oh my goodness, what's he doing? Comments. You know, you rewatch the tape and you can see with Joel Rosario aboard Epicenter how the pieces were in place early in that race to force his hand maybe a little bit. I'm not I'm not as at first I thought it was a tactical decision that I went around describing as was too clever by half. But when you watch the tape and see him break slow and see the horse come over on him, I, I'm, I'm more understanding of it. I, I still want to point out something that I think was probably a, a pretty clear mistake on the day, but I'm curious where you are right now. Was it a bad ride aboard Epicenter? Yeah, we used to do this on the old show, I feel like, all the time. So what I want you guys to do right now is press pause 
and then hit <laughs> command T if you have a Mac. You'll get a new window, go to YouTube and watch the 2021 Kentucky Oaks and watch what Johnny Velasquez does on Malafai. It's my opinion. And I'm very happy for Chad and Jose. If it's my opinion that if Rosario would have done what Johnny did on Malafai and the Kentucky Oaks, then he would have been right there at, at the finish you know, with a chance to, to run by him. I get it. The horse broke a little bit slow, but you're on the best horse who has tactical speed, who's wired derby preps, who is close enough to a very fast pace in the belt in the, in the, in the Kentucky Derby. Stay after him and stay forward. Stay into that position. That's his weapon. He's a 12-second furlong horse. 12 seconds, 12s, 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 12s. But you, when, you, when, you, when you have him go 13 and a half, 13 and a half, now you've taken away his weapon and he still finished like a good horse because he had a good trip. He did save ground on both turns and that's fine, but he was never going to run by a fast horse like early voting that didn't have a tough trip. And, and so for me, but th this is something I think you get with Joel sometimes. And, and I, I think Joel does a phenomenal job when he does a phenomenal job, but there's an occasion and it's all of them. I'm not just saying Joel, but it feels like it's Joel more often than not that more than the others you get that. <sighs> What, what are we doing thing? And you could see that in Steve's quotes. Steve did not like he where was he furious. was. He was furious. He did not like it. He yeah. didn't like it. And and I just felt like Joel should have stayed with him and put him into the race despite the fact that he broke a little bit slow. But instead, I think Joel conceded, tucked him into the rail, and maybe was overconfident. I, I don't know. I, I just um, – I, I wanted him to be a little bit more aggressive in that spot. He rode him like a eight to one shot in a race that he expected to have a lot of pace. And he was a three to five shot in a race that didn't have pace. And this wow. notion and smart people think this. So I'm not, you know, Nick Tamaro has intimated on Twitter. He thinks it was a, a fast pace. I just don't really see it. Um, you know, yeah, there was a time coded red fraction um, in the race, but I think that was largely the effect of a no hoper setting the pace. And then yeah. I don't I don't know if it's appropriate to name figure makers or not. I haven't asked them permission to give this info, but two professional figure makers I know had the race slow, and uh, Jake Jacobs of Racing Flow had it neutral. So, you know, I, I think, think they could have gotten away with pushing wide and getting up into the vanguard. It's not like you'd have been going into some suicidal pace five wide into the first turn, which I think right. you know some of the Rosario defenders are saying would would be what would have happened. I saw your tweet about fake fast. And I, I, I like it because I think that I, I don't care what the leader went. I care what early voting went. Right. Right. Cause that was the horse that was, that, that's what mattered. And Jose rode that horse brilliantly. Right. I don't think Jose moved too early. I don't think, I think Jose just rode the horse the right way. Um, and so anyways, I, 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 I think it was a mistake ride. Um, I make mistakes every day, so I'm not knocking Joel. But if we're going to analyze the horse, the performance, and the race, I think it was a. I think, I think he he made a mistake, and that happens. I think the bigger mistake, if there was one, might have been not letting the way the track was playing maybe alter the plan a little bit. You know, maybe you warm him up aggressively for early speed energy and just do absolutely. And, and maybe he did more of this than I saw. I didn't see it, but it just it just didn't seem like he was aware of the fact that you were going to really be behind the eight ball. 
if you didn't if you didn't get out of there it seemed to me like he acted like it was no big deal he broke a step slow and was just as happy with plan b as plan a and on this day the way that track was playing in that expected flow against that serious horse who i do want to give some props to before we get out of here in early voting you know once he broke slow you know he was in he was in trouble so even if you don't give him a hard time for what happened in the gate, maybe you give him a hard time for that. I don't know. It's, I will say this, let's defend Joel for a second. Cause I feel bad. I feel like we're bashing him. And I, you know, he's one of my favorite writers. Um, Steve Asman, he's Asmussen. He gave those quotes. This is a, I'm going to just say it. I think he's a notoriously difficult guy to ride for. You know, he, he doesn't, he gets upset and he makes changes and he, yeah, I don't think he, I don't think he's somebody who's easy to ride for. So I think you can sort of forgive him in the emotion of a really difficult moment saying those things. The other way of looking at it is the horse has lost his tactical speed to some degree and backing up the idea that he's going off form a little bit is if, if you thought, if you thought he was the best horse and it was a bad ride, and he should have won, why don't you come back in three weeks in the Belmont? Oh, well, because I don't think anyone wants to come back in the Belmont. Like, it, the, it's, the Belmont is, is a tricky race because it's a mile and a half, and none of these horses are bred to go that far, and there's other great opportunities, and there's a Travers that, that people see over the horizon, and, 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 and I think it's – that race is always going to be circumstantial to who decides to run in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Chad doesn't want to run his horses in the Belmont unless it's a triple crown. I think a lot of guys feel that way, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know if the horse, I mean, how could the horse, I don't think the horse could like lose a step in two weeks. It's unusual. You know? That's for sure. It'd be very, yeah, I mean, I just, it's more of a devil's I, I, advocate I, argument, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. I think he broke a little bit slow and Joel was passive. And I, and I think yeah. that that's okay. Cause I'm sure there's other times that that'll work out, but it didn't on Saturday. Fair enough. Uh, very interesting to get your thoughts on all that stuff. Really interesting. I mean, for for all the complaints by me and others about, you know, how we wish we had more of the same horses running in all three of these legs, they've all had interesting storylines and lots of things to unpack as racing fans and horse players. Uh, I'm going to let you get out of here. Uh, you're, you're over time already, JK, but you have a closing thought for us on this uh, on this segment of the show. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be Belmonts that are outstanding. There's going to be Belmonts that are that are average. There's going to be Belmonts that aren't great. It's going to happen, but I will tell you this. There's never going to be a bad Belmont Six card because the undercard races I'm getting really, really excited about. So look forward to talking about those over the next couple of weeks. Met Mile, you have your Met Mile horse yet? No, I just hope Flightline shows up. And, and, oh, then, and, then, and, then, and then I'm going to force myself to single either him or Speaker's Corner. <laughs> life is good is not being considered for that spot i haven't heard i, I maybe I don't, I don't even know if he's working maybe I, I don't uh i mean i hope so i think life is good's goal is the whitney so i think life is good is going to probably get a little bit more time and then show up for the whitney that's that's okay. maybe a prep for the whitney he's work. uh no he has not he worked march 12th and he worked at Windstar on May 13th. So he's still at, he's still at Windstar. So no, he's not under consideration. Okay, that makes sense. I was just dreaming for a second there. Uh, where can we find you this weekend? You're going to be a uh, huge yeah. weekend of racing. Yeah, I'm on Friday and Saturday and then uh, Monday. I'm not on Sunday, though. Friday, Saturday, right. and, and Sunday, we'll, I'll be on Friday. We'll have a special pod with uh, Nick Tamaro and Andy Serling covering those Monday races sponsored by our pals at NYTHA. So you're going to want to check that out for sure. JK, we'll be talking soon. See ya. Monmouth Park is back in action, and it's racing more like you'll remember it from the past at Monmouth. The crops are back. The cooler area is open once again, and it's been good racing so far, and it's only going to get better. 
definitely want to promote the fact that June 4th is Betmakers Day. It's also the Pick Your Prize Contest. Fantastic day to try to get yourself out to Monmouth Park and to get involved with one of those two really exciting events. The $2,000 Pick Your Prize Handicapping Challenge is very popular. Players come in from all over the country. Prize pool expected to include 20 NHC seats, four BCBC seats, plus cash, plus a chance to hang out and to learn more about the fixed odds betting powered by betmakers with their day. Still a bit of a soft launch right now. It's just Monmouth at Monmouth, but I'm hearing great things from horse players, and there's a lot more news on this front going to be coming down the pike. If you've got questions, turn up at Monmouth on June 4th. I'll be there. Dallas Baker will be there, as will a lot of other members of the team. We'll have some other ITM folks there as well. Should really be a great day. To get more information about Monmouth Park, simply go to monmouthpark.com, and we look forward to seeing you on June 4th. We kick on on the In the Money Players podcast with our segment brought to you by Monmouth and Betmakers. And we have back with us a team that was uh, here without me uh, last week to do this segment. We'll start with the man you see him all the time on the In the Money media network writing about Naira over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. He is Nick Tamaro. Nick, how are things? I'm doing great, my friend. Good to have you back. And glad that we proved last week the show can go on in your absence. <laughs> we did yeah, miss it, I it, I, I, I was waiting for that dig, and I probably deserved it. Also with us, you, you you heard a word from him there, the voice. You probably recognize it if you've been with us for any amount of time and been following the goings-on with the introduction of fixed odds wagering to New Jersey from Betmakers. It's Dallas Baker. Dallas, how are things with you? Very well, Pete. Nick, hello again. Yeah, no, going well. We're progressing through our, uh, our soft start to fixed odds, and it's uh, all, all seems to be running as expected and building up into, um, you know, what we expect it to be in the next 12 or so months. I've gotten some interesting, positive feedback from longtime punters who make mom at their home. Definitely very interested in the fixed odds product. And obviously it takes a little bit of getting used to, but I mean, this idea for a lot of players that uh, the odds you better, the odds you get very appealing notion. One of the, I'll call it an idiosyncrasy, I guess, certainly a difference between the betting that we're used to and fixed odds betting comes up when there's weather in the area and races are carted for the turf and then taken off. And as part of the pick five sequence, the win early pick five sequence that we're going to be talking about to kick off this segment of this show, we do have a couple of turf races. In terms of fixed odds, Dallas, how do you handle that? At, at the moment, Pete, we're um, basically what we're doing is just holding, putting those price, uh, those markets up until we have as clear a understanding of what's going on as we possibly can. Uh, we'll get into what the weekend's forecast looks like in a sec. But, yeah, so – but we are developing a system. Um, it's just everything we've come up with so far in the fixed odds world probably is less than perfect, to be honest. Um, but um, we do have a couple of really strong ideas that we're just seeing if the tech behind it can work because it's not just about what we do at Monmouth. It's about what how we handle that for all of the U.S. It's a precedent. Yeah, exactly. So, um, look, um, there's a couple of ideas that, one, you just basically, if there is an off-the-turf race, um, well, when there is an off-the-turf race, that when it's announced, all betting is closed on that race, a line's drawn, refund's given, and it's basically essentially a new race, which, as we know, it, it is. It's a different set of conditions that are totally that's a make it a totally different race. The other one that we're probably favouring is that um, that if you have a bet before... Uh, the uh, the race has been moved. 
um, then then uh, the starting the the closing price, whether that's the tote or whether that's where the fixed odds price ends up, um, that's where um, that's where that's where we could land with that as well too. But just looking at uh, there's a few ideas out there. One, as I said, it's got to be easily supported with the tech, and not just our tech. What we then send onto the bookmakers as well too when they come online, and also making sure that everybody's happy with it. So at the moment, we're just taking a, a wait and see approach with it. You know, as I said, just not. Um, just holding the markets back until we have a, you know, as close a definitive decision as you can. And then, um, yeah, but hopefully we have a, a much better method that's going to be fully automated and fully explained out. But um, it's not a, it's not a perfect solution from our end, from, from the end of the, uh, the price assessing and the bookmaking side of things. It's hard because obviously we're going to, we're going to see horses in um, just, I'm trying to remember which race is off the turf. But a couple of them that that are there is will only run if it's on the dirt. Sure, if it runs on the dirt. They're the, they're favourites. If it right. runs on, and obviously they're not running on the turf. So yeah, it, tricky. So it really, tricky it feels to me like that second solution you mentioned can work as long as players have a chance to cancel their tickets. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, so we, yeah. I mean, what we're trying to work out is essentially the fairest option. First and foremost, it always has to come back to the customer, as I refer to as the punter, as you refer to as the gambler. They're the, they're the people who need to look, be looked after most. So we've got to find the, the, the fairest solution to that. But then also working within the tech parameters and also, um, you know, having having a little bit of fairness towards the bookmakers as well. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not as concerned about that from our from our side of the counter. But of course, it does, it does feel weird considering I was for most of my life. I've been on the punting side of the fence. And uh, but yeah, I mean, one of the beautiful things of betmakers is we sit right in the middle. So we. I think um, you know we're on, we're we're on both sides of the fence. So we like with a lot of the things that we do in the uh, in the wagering landscape is that I think we've got the ability to have the most balanced opinion because we do see it from both sides of things. So um, yeah, it just comes down to yeah how that how that can all work out. Um, I don't know if there's ever going to be a perfect solution to it, and I'm sure uh, whatever the case is, there'll be um, you know. Um, no, but you're never going to please 100% of the people, but we're doing our best to come up with the best solution. Let's dive into the form, men. It starts off with race one, and it's the earliest pick five on Saturday at 12.15 Eastern for this maiden claiming race, the three-year-old fillies and mares and up. Nick Tamro, let's bring you in for your view on this race from a uh, more of a pick five perspective. And then we'll get Dallas to give us a rundown of some some prices or, or make some predictions in that regard. Yeah, I think we're going to be looking at one of the shorter prices on the in the sequence here in the eight, uh, this far outside horse, the seven. Our funny business who figures to probably drift down from seven to five, eight to five, somewhere in that range, uh, perhaps a little bit less. Getting back in for the tag for Gerald Bennett. This is a barn that really has not made a lot of many forays into Monmouth racing over the years. Obviously wins a lot at Tampa during the winter. Um, so we'll see how well our funny business stacks up class-wise. I think she does. She comes out of what looks like a pretty productive race with the one-two finishers having both come back to win. She's going to be tough to handle. I think in terms of, of other options in the pick five, you're probably going to want to try Princess Lean just for the Paco factor. Of course, what always happens here is you end up having to take a much shorter price than you'd like based on the, uh, the fact that he's somebody who's so well-backed at the windows as well. But um, I think it's a, it's a pretty safe spot to have a single and then maybe back up with the three and four. 
All right. So the seven, the seven and the four sort of in the middle range. And then, and then the, the three as a potential include as well, Dallas price wise. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about this. Our funny business made three to one on the morning line. What do you, what do you think? Uh, what price are you going to be opening up at? Oh, if you can get three to one, I'd take it, Pete. We're uh, three to two. Uh, okay. Simple as that. Uh, um, you know what Nick said, it does, it does look to bring the most solid form um, and probably gets across, probably looks to lead or be right there controlling in some way from the outside gate. Um, and Sammy Camacho, who rode his thousandth winner last week, I got a nice little trophy from that from the good people at Monmouth for doing so. But um, yeah, look, it, it's hard to, it's hard to see it being any shorter, you know, much better than two to one. Obviously, it'll fluctuate around. A lot of it might, as I mentioned last week, um, the interest for the first starters moving in stereo probably the most one. Uh, if there's a, if there's a push for that, that could um, that could adjust the market. But um, pretty much how Nick saw them is market order three to two or two dollars sixty decimal um, for um, our funny business. Princess leans around the seven to two mark four dollars sixty. And uh, Ashiana is uh, four, uh, four to one or five dollars decimal. So, pretty much how Nick's seen them is pretty much how the market will be going up. And uh, yeah, and hard to hard to argue with our funny business from out wide. Race number two is a nickel claimer for three and up, going five and a half on the dirt. Uh, market wise, here uh, at least in terms of the morning line, we've got flipping fish for very popular connections in Paco Lopez and Kelly Breen installed at eight to five. Dallas, is that similar to, to the way you see it? Yeah, close enough. We're three to two. I should mention with Paco, though, I mean, we're, we're pricing it based on, you know, what it probably will be. And obviously, those shorter price favourites will have a bit shorter because that's where they'll end up. Um, but most of the time with Paco Lopez, as you alluded to, he does uh, attract a lot of betting at Monmouth, and rightly so, because he does ride every second winner there. But, um, you know, normally what we've seen with... Um, with, you know, those high connection horses like Paco Lopez and Kelly Breen, uh, who those who follow Monmouth go without saying, they they have been all generally starting shorter, much shorter on the tote than they are fixed odds because there's the overplay of public sentiment into those, uh, into, into those connections. But in saying that, compared to the morning line, we are, again, about that three to two mark. And then a bunch of them, uh, the two down the bottom are, Rocky's Buckaroo and Love Nest at four to one or five dollars decimal, and then uh, three of them at uh, eight to one or nine dollars, which is you should be lo so lucky, Johnny Obvious and uh, Trapeze Artist. I feel like Ro Rocky's Buckaroo is a little bit appealing, maybe at that at that price because fish, though uh, though he makes a lot of sense is a horse that comes from far back and uh, cutting back to the sharp five and a half. What do you think, Nick? Do you think Rocky's Buckaroo might have a chance to wire them? And uh, what numbers will be on your win early pick five tickets? Yeah, I think if I was making picks, I'd definitely pick Rocky's Buckaroo on top. It's a really big potential pace edge. Uh, Love Nest on the outside has a little bit of speed, but that's route speed. And I think you might get a little early foot from Johnny Obvious, but his form has slid pretty significantly since he was last in the care of Jose Delgado. So Rocky's Buckaroo looks very interesting. This is one of those races that probably makes playing Monmouth appealing at times because, as Dallas alluded to, we get Paco just totally bet off the board mm -hmm. a number of occasions. And, and this is a situation where I think you'd be pretty comfortable standing up against him and even, even throwing a horse like Flipping Fish out. I mean, I don't know if, uh, if you necessarily have to use him. I, I could – relegate him to more of the backup lines and probably get a little bolder with Rocky's Buckaroo and back up with the, uh, the two, three, four, and seven. 
I like that idea. I mean, if you if if you're willing to leave out four, you can definitely get the get spready there because that's a runner that's going to take all manner of attention at the windows. So the hinge of this early pick five is scheduled for the turf, which means given the the weather which uh, you alluded to before, Dallas. We'll see if we end up on that surface or not. There are a couple of main track onlys entered. Dallas, what are you hearing? What are you seeing in terms of in terms of weather? And I imagine you're just holding fire on making a market until we get oh. Yeah, Pete, we've obviously done the work on the race. Um, but, you know, when you've got Top Gun Tommy, which would go up seven to four favourite if it was on the dirt as opposed to the turf, it does make it hard to put up, you know, a, a supermarket. And obviously the percentages will be uh, extended because the, the emergencies actually don't go or the additional entries don't go into the uh, into the normal mix of the market. So, But from a weather point of view, a bit similar to last week, there's... Um, uh, a decent thunderstorm predicted for tomorrow, being, sorry, I should say Friday. And um, how serious that is will determine whether we're on the turf or not. And I think as, for anyone that's familiar with uh, Jersey Shore weather, <coughs> excuse me, will know that it uh, could mean a, a significant forecast could mean zero rain or five inches. <laughs> so, so we'll we'll just wait and see to tomorrow. But I think um, I think the good news is we should, by the time, by the time's all said and done, Friday afternoon, we should know where um, where we're running. So it gives everybody a bit of a, a bit of opportunity. Um, but as mentioned, uh, Tom, Top Gun Tommy would start a pretty short favourite on the dirt if it does get moved uh, moved off the turf. Uh, but on the turf, the favourite is as I go to my other screen uh, is currently the uh, Ghost Giant at around about the two to one mark, three dollars. Nick, give me your view on this race for, on a turf perspective, and if it comes off, uh, if you have a, a, a perspective on how your approach to this pick five might change, I'd love to hear that too. Yeah, uh, Ghost Giant looks particularly tough on the turf. I will say that Future Victory is a little interesting. I wish we were getting a bit better price with Paco and the Irons for Todd Pletcher. This is a horse who made a really big middle move on the outside during a stretch of time at Saratoga when saving ground was uh, was really key um, in that middle part of August. So we'll see how much future victory can improve second off the layoff. He, he did kind of get in the mix late last time out, maybe a little bit too far back of a of the pace. So those are kind of the main two on turf. As Dallas said, it looks as if Top Gun Tommy on the dirt would be pretty formidable. He's not been seen since he finished up the track behind Waxman and Winter Pool. Those are both horses that have kind of hinted at having stakes caliber ability. And he got involved in a particularly hot pace that afternoon as well. So I think getting to the dirt and seeing what's left of this field, he, he seems as if he'd be pretty formidable off the turf. Race number four, we've got three and up Philly and Mare claimers at the $12,000 level going a mile and 70. Nick, I'll keep it with you to get your thoughts on, on this one. Sudden impulse looks a little bit interesting. Just taking a quick look at the at the pace map. Uh, that's the the five to two morning line favorite. Are you with or against? I mean, it's a tough one to get with too much. This is a horse who has avoided claim for 16, now in for 12-5, coming down from New York. She's really the lone speed, though. I mean, she is supposed to control this race, and Hector Diaz Jr. really holds all the cards. The other thing is that the biggest rival looks like Marty's Dilemma, who, you know, until two starts ago, you wouldn't have given a plug nickel for this horse on the dirt. So, I mean, it's very hard to embrace her as as the big alternative. Mining Chrome is dropping in class. She feels like one that, that deserves maybe a little bit of attention. And you have along the way who's first off acclaimed by Claudio Gonzalez. Worth noting, though, Claudio Gonzalez in New Jersey doesn't really win like Claudio Gonzalez in Maryland. 
So it's not quite the same situation. So I think you kind of hold your nose and take the favorite, but help out with the likes of Marty's Dilemma and, uh, and give yourself a little bit of an opportunity if the favorite stubs your toe. All right. So what, sort of a one and then a little six, seven. Is that the idea? Yeah, I think that's fair. Dallas, market-wise, uh, how short are you going with this sudden impulse, the one-runner? We'll open it up at the $3.20 decimal, uh, Peter, which I think uh, we've uh, defined as a fat two-to-one. Um, look, but it, 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 as, as, as Nick mentioned, it does look to get the favours in front, does look to be the, the right map horse, uh, for want of a better term. But it also has some vulnerability to it as well. too. So they're a type of horse that... You know, unless there is significant money and we're um and we're wrong with that opening price, it's probably one that we won't be afraid to take on. Uh, so three twenty at the moment, uh, as I said, a fat two to one is a is a price we're comfortable with, and that's ahead of Marty's dilemma at four dollars sixty or seven to two. And uh, mining chrome, the other horse Nick mentioned, uh, is fourth pick actually at nine to two or five dollars fifty, just ahead of Blindside at four to one or five dollars decimal. That's a great bit of bookie slang we'll pause on just for a second here. The idea of the difference between a horse that a bookmaker is willing to take on or, or one that you want to have on side. And it works for punters too. I think it's pretty intuitive, but the idea basically being the horse you're willing to take on, you're willing to lose a little bit if that horse gets yeah. the job done, willing to take a stand as opposed to the keep on side. You're going to be very, very uh, much paying attention to what that price is and trying to make it so that if that one wins, you win too. Is there anything to add to those simple definitions there? Yeah, Alan? that's pretty. That's pretty much it. Pete, it's it's funny. Like two to one is two to one, but it's not two to one. If that makes sense, like you know, I mean the 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 horses have to have the price, and it's very it's pretty hard to not mark sudden impulse favorite. But it's like it's a soft two to one as opposed to a firm two to one as well. Like you know, that's. Um, you, you, from a from putting the the bookmaking hat on, you know, if a horse is bringing in, it's always about obviously relative of what ho what horses are running against each other, and you know, obviously who's going to be the fastest in that race or whatever. But um, you know, but there's also things there if you can find holes in it that you know give you a little bit more comfort as a bookmaker if you're looking at a pretty significant red number in your book that um, you're happier than that than say a horse that you that you couldn't get any shorter because there's some really strong competition behind it but you know that that is absolutely a rock solid two to one as well too so yeah it's um it's it's a it's a it's a it's a funny mindset to have but yeah there's uh there's two to one and two to one and not two to one if that <laughs> uh, it, it's crazy but it actually makes perfect sense <laughs> let's talk about the fifth race that pays off the win early pick five we're back on the turf sixteen thousand dollar claimers going a mile and a sixteenth Dallas, uh, they, there's a main track only entrant in here. Will you, are you as uh, impressed with this one's chances? Should we come off as you were with the the runner that we yeah, talked about? Yeah, no, I mean it's, it's it's in the market, but I mean our, our price at the moment is six to one or seven dollars. That and that's the price that obviously, if it's off the turf, we're going to have a hell of a lot of scratchings. But um, if that was if that field was to transfer to the turf, we'd still uh, to the dirt. I should say we'd still have it around about the six to one chance. So not as not as um, annoyingly reckless in the market to uh to uh to uh, stuff things up to be truthful so it, it it's it, it's not as not as much as a nuisance as the other ones have been but um our favorite at the moment peter is uh five to two for corrado or three dollars and fifty cents on the decimal uh and that's ahead of super wicked charm number 10 which we have at uh, four dollars and eighty so uh, a thin four to one 
And uh, next is a flat four to one food bank helper at $5 decimal. So that's pretty much how the, the markets will go up. What do you think, Nick, in terms of this win early pick five, how are we going to get paid? Oh, you got caught Corrado on me. Is, Corrado is definitely the one to beat, no question about it. Um, I, I think the, the concern, of course, is that we really don't know if this horse is any good on the turf, right? I mean, if you take his first effort at face value, he got a speed figure that very much puts him in the realm. But now the trainer's taking a, a, a kind of a plunge down the class ladder, just a little bit lower than where he started claiming price-wise. So I don't think it's as big a concern. But I do think this is a horse you have to help. I don't think you can trust him very much at all. And um, I thought one lucky day and Sir Saffer were both a little interesting, each from Kathleen O'Connell's barn. They look like the main two speeds. And so I don't think they're going to engage in some kind of battle. I could see Sir Saffer hanging around. I, I think the competition last time out was quite a bit tougher than what he meets here. So I'm willing to give him a little bit of a pass for that race. I also thought that you probably wanted to try and find a way to include uh, the, the recent uh, winner for for high percentage connections in, in himself. And that was uh, down in the I'm sorry, Sir Saffer was really where I wanted to focus. But the other one and the, I'm, I completely marked the whole, uh, seven food bank helper for Gilberto Zerpa, high percentage barn, of course, late running type who was victorious at Gulfstream last time out. He's a horse that I think you're going to want to throw in as well. So some combination of one, eleven, eight, seven. Yeah, one one seven eleven primarily. The eight be more of a backup, and I do think that on the turf, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Kathleen O'Connell opts to just run one of these two. Okay, that makes sense. We'll see how it plays out. Before we leave Monmouth, let's hop ahead because we have an interesting little stakes race that goes as race number eleven at four fifty five with a hundred thousand dollars in the pot for the cliffhanger at a mile and sixteenth on the turf. Uh, we do have some MTOs here. Hopefully, if nothing else, this one will be able to stay onto the green. But Nick, we'll, we'll bring you in for, for your thoughts on this one. Turn to the races of, uh, of Analyze It, a horse many folks forward. I still watch the 2018 Breeders' Cup mile and pretend like he held on. Um, <laughs> it just hasn't happened yet. But um, I'll tell you, and, you know, Analyze It. Analyze, Nick. We've all got eyes. <laughs> it's the truth. He's a horse that really doesn't fit that well in here pace-wise. There is a lot of speed signed up. I don't know what kind of trip he's going to end up getting, and I worry that – um, now, as a seven-year-old, even as a new gelding, his best days are probably well, well behind him. We'll see if he can bounce back. Obviously, this is a horse who, you know, has shown a tremendous amount of ability, even as recently as last year. You know, another horse that showed a lot of ability early in his career and is trying to get back going is Hawkish. And Hawkish figures to get a much better setup um, than analyze it because he's a horse who will take full advantage of a quick early pace. And Jimmy Toner now brings him in second off the layoff. The likes of B Busy Channel and Mr. Dumas in Midnight Tea Time, they compare very favorably to these horses. So I think Hawkish is a horse that at, at the price that he'll probably end up being is pretty interesting. I want to say he was made uh, six or eight to one on the morning line, which would definitely make him eight to one on the morning line would make him very interesting. I think the best speed is probably midday image. Um, just because he's in very good form. I don't want to hold the Pan American against him because it was an, at a mile and a half. I don't know how much it'll dull his speed. This is a horse who's very good, and uh, and we'll see if he ends up going in here, depending on the situation. But uh, if he does, and so do the other speeds, then things are really going to set up well for Hawkish. I like it. So it'd be a fairly strong push from you from, from Hawkish. In terms of the pick fives, any particular backups you'd want? Um, I mean, I, I would I would cast a wide net here. It's a sequence, I think, where you can narrow it down in a couple of other legs. But I think you'd probably want to include yes this time um, if, if you can afford it. And Kentucky Ghost is a horse that uh, 
that pulled up last time and was vanned off. I don't know if it maybe had something to do with with not having Lasix, but the fact that Vicky Oliver is bringing this horse back so quickly in a state where you can treat your horses with Lasix, I think that's a pretty clear sign that this might be a horse that has trouble with bleeding. And so he's one I think I would include to it at a relatively strong price. So I would say three, seven, nine, definitely some 10 and a little bit of the four and five. All right, I like it. And some four and some five. Good stuff. Dallas, let's talk about Hawkish. Where do you have the line on this runner? Yeah, it's high, wide, and handsome here, Pete. Um, it's five dollars. Uh, Hawkish is a six to one chance or seven dollars decimal. So getting under Nick's guard a little bit there. There's no eight to one here, Nick. So I'm sorry <laughs> about that, mate. Um, our favorite, you know, as I said, a very wide, well, Kershaw is the favourite currently, but let's just pretend that the uh, we're, we're on track only. Yeah. Yep. Um, analyze it is our favourite. As I said, uh, four dollars eighty decimal, four to one, or thin four to one in fractional odds, just ahead of not this time at nine to two or five dollars fifty decimal, and uh, Carpenter's call on that line as well to five fifty. But you know, you're talking um, a pretty condensed market, and uh, I think from from what uh, from uh, taking out of what from Nick said, that's pretty reflective of, of your thoughts. I would say, mate, with um, with plenty of chances, and um, you know, not not a lot of them pick, um, you know, putting their hand up to be the top pick. All right, we are we are late for our next segment, Dallas. We're gonna we're gonna rush out of here. But uh, I folks heard the ad at the beginning. Next weekend, if you can get to Monmouth Betmakers Day, that's gonna be fun. Pick your prize. That's gonna be fun. I look forward to getting to see you in person, Nick. We won't see you then, but we'll see you shortly thereafter uh, in New York for the following weekend. Uh, but Nick, you're gonna hang around, Dallas. We will talk to you very soon. Thank you very much. See you, Dallas. Thanks. See you. I mentioned up top what a big day Monday is for our friends at Lone Star Park. We've been covering them throughout their season with their players pick five with just the 12% takeout and uh, the Lone Star six shooter also 12% takeout. Great player-friendly bets, but Monday is really the big day. The Lone Star Million Day Monday, May 30th, six stakes worth $1.2 million and an NHC tournament with one in 10 odds to win an NHC seat on a $2,500 buy-in where all the money goes to your bankroll. So in other words, the seats, I know there's a lot of them, are going to be added to the pot. So get involved at Lone Star on Monday. We'll also have a special show right here on the network covering it. For more information, go to LoneStarPark.com. Next up on the show, we proceed to our Texas segment. We keep with us the man who was in the last segment, Nick Tamro, who's still in Texas. We don't need to introduce him again. But we will introduce a woman who loves Texas, but currently is in uh, in New England, where she resides. She is Jessica Paquette. Jessica, how are things? Everything's great. How are you? I'm doing well. I thought of you yesterday because I had I had a wild workout day that made me think of the kinds of things that that I see from you in social media. I biked like 14 miles. I walked 10 and a half and I was thinking I was hardcore. And then off, off air though, then you told me what you do this morning. And it's like, to, you know, to me, that's like one of the five biggest workout days of the year to, to you. That's Thursday. Just a Thursday. I mean, casual Thursday. It's fine. I'm just happy to be back doing things again. That's right. I mean, coming back off the injury you did, it's uh, it's impressive to see you out there rocking and rolling in the world. Let's talk about these horses who are going to be rocking and rolling around Lone Star Park. I already read the ad about the big day that is Monday, but it's a it's a super interesting uh, weekend out there at Lone Star Park. We're going to talk about the pick five that kicks off on Saturday night in race number five. We've got these maidens going a mile and a 16th on the dirt. 
Nick Tamro, how are we going to get this pick five kicked off? I mean, unfortunately, we're probably going to do it with a pretty short price favorite in the number seven golden flash for Brett Calhoun. <clears throat> Lane Leslie's in the irons and two starts in a row. Now this horse has gotten involved in hot paces. Two starts back. He said it last time out. He kind of moved into it before getting out finished late by Pivolin. This is a horse who was really highly regarded Pivolin from the uh, Steve Asmussen barn earlier in his career. So it feels like it's supposed to be graduation day for uh, for golden flash on the outside. Probably a little support. For Wildwood Z, who was third last time out against similar uh, here at Lone Star, that came after a series of tries at Oaklawn. The balance of this field looks like it's probably a little bit lesser, and it feels as if one of the chalks will get it done. Jessica, is it as simple as the top two in the market with the lean towards Golden Flash for you, or do you have a contrarian opinion to bring to the mix? I, I agree with all the points made about Golden Flash. I think it looks like a very logical graduation day for this horse. That said, I am going to use one horse at a little bit better of a price. That is number four, Blurt. I loved his last race. That was on the turf. He was third behind Malibu Channel, who I have been chasing since his first start. Nice to see him finally, finally get in the winner's circle. And this one may be better suited on the turf at this point, but I thought that was just a really good step in the right direction. Ronnie Craven's very live first off the claim as well. Let's move right along to race number six, where we have Texas bred fillies and mares allowance types going a flat five on the turf. And Jessica, we'll keep it with you. Golden Secret's probably a huge, huge pick against for me here. This is a horse six years old, only a handful of starts, long, long layoff, came back off of that big, like two year layoff, ran really well, but that was back in March. So she seems like the kind that really needs some time in between races. So for me, I'm going to have to look elsewhere here. I think she's a little bit beatable. I like Stan's golden path. I think Austin Gustafson has been off to a really good start so far this season. Source looks well meant here, has some tactical speed sprinting on the turf. I think that's good enough to get it done. There you go with Stan's golden path to get the ground saving trip heading on to the turf for Jessica in race number six, Nick Tamro, how do you see it? Yeah, I kind of wanted to use the one and eight <clears throat> primarily. The eight in my baby's gone is going to be a pretty solid favorite. I was a little concerned about Golden Secret. There's turf pedigree there on Golden Secret, but I'm not altogether certain I want a horse like that at, at five to two or three to one. Yeah, my I baby's think she's going to be a little uh, over bet at, for what she right, is. Right, exactly. Yeah, she's the horse to beat based on her last start. And, and five, five furlongs on the turf at Lone Star, I think, plays even more speed favoring than it does down here at Sam Houston. But um, – and this horse has the right kind of running style, right? She'll be forwardly placed. She'll be in position. Stan's golden path stepped up with a good effort last time out uh, against Lesser. And I think Austin was lucky that this horse didn't get claimed, dropping her down to 7,500. I like that he's trying the turf and protecting her as well. So um, she'll get a little consideration from me. Mississippi Bling is a horse that I'd probably use as a backup, but I'd concentrate on the one and eight and use the two and nine as backups. Little two and nine on the backup line for Nick. Jessica trying to press up that one to get things uh, moving and grooving in this pick five in the sixth race. The seventh race, we've got Phillies and Mares three and up maiden claimers for the $12,000 tag going a mile on the dirt. Nick, who's your idea of the winner? You know, I, I'm a little intrigued here by the five Courtney Fay, who's improved since being claimed by Danelle Durham. This is a barn that goes up to Oaklawn every winter. And, you know, it's one of those that, that I really wish she would come down here because uh, I think her horses generally, she's got some Texas breads, really fit well, um, it would fit well down at Sam Houston. This horse looks like she just might be able to get clear. And I think Lane Luzzy is very good on the front end, also very astute when it comes to identifying potential pace advantages. And so I think she really has a shot at, at having one here. And, and I definitely wanted to try her at her around nine to two. Favoritism, we're looking at 
horses like Saganaki and and Kimball Strategy. And Kimball Strategy two starts back faced a field that was um, it was so bad that I made this. I think I made this horse three or four to five on the morning line. She didn't take that much money, and I knew she wasn't going to win. And and so last time out, I, she was just brutal once again. Now goes from seventy five to twelve five, just a, a terribly negative sign. Saganaki is a fifth time starter, finally getting to dirt. We need fresh legs, and I think it's Courtney Fay. All right, Courtney Faye. Will you back up with those other two or are you just going to keep it pretty cold? I wouldn't use Kimball's strategy for a nickel. So I'd probably back up with Saganaki and I'd, I'd use a little bit of appreciable too, even though she's cheap, dry Eichelberry with a horse uh, placed towards the inside that wants to be forward. I'm taking that eight days a week. Jessica, what's your view on this maiden climber? I think appreciable is actually really interesting. The morning line of H1 is really appealing to me for some of Nick's points. Ryan Eggleberry, Broberg, these are no-brainer connections. And I like that this Philly's only had a handful of starts. A horse like Courtney Fay, I think your points are really valid, but at a certain point, you only get so many chances to get the job done. 13 starts is kind of pushing it for me. Um, but appreciable, only a handful of starts, has plenty of speed. I do also like Saganaki on the surface switch. No shortage of stamina here. The mile should suit her just fine. And she's slowly getting the hang of it, I think. Her last couple of races have been encouraging. I can see the trip working out really nicely for Courtney Fay as you're talking about it, because if uh, if the five, excuse me, I can see the trip for Appreciable working out well if Courtney Fay doesn't want to go this far. I mean, they had some decent races going along before and just couldn't seem to see out the trip. If that happens, you could see it really falling into the lap of Appreciable. I'd be very tempted to try to play those two speeds. And at this level, you know, if a closer comes and gets me, a closer comes and gets me. That that, that seems like an interesting uh, interesting approach to me in this uh, in this seventh race. Let's talk about the eighth race where we've got Texas bred maidens going a mile and a sixteenth on the dirt. Nick Tamaro, who do you like in this uh, field of eight? We've got a seven to five morning line favorite in Hasta La Vista, honey. Are you with or against? I wish I could be more confident in being against. I do think that second time starting. Uh, four-year-old probably gets a forwardly placed trip inside post quick run to the first turn Danny Sorensen uh, back after having some injury problems at Sam Houston this horse feels like he's going to be the first one to get to the turn that might be pretty much all he needs uh, I think a lot of it also has to do with the competition in here running the red-faced winners last time out I'm not exactly sure why and is now back against maidens for Chris Fullerton he's a horse who I think could maybe get a piece of it he seems like he has no desire to win and it just feels like the right place at the right time for, for Asta La Vista, honey. I could see maybe using a little bit of alligator crawl as a new gelding, having shown some life on the turf last time out. But this is uh, about what you'd expect for Texas bread maiden specials. All right, Jessica, what do, what do you think about this favorite? Uh, any hope to take on or should we just say, hey, if you can't beat him, join him? Eat the chalk, move on, call it a day. <laughs> Sometimes at this, you know, with a group of horses like this, the less starts, the better. Um, yeah. Only one start, plenty of room to move forward. So, yeah, hasta la vista, honey. Single and move on. Race number nine, our nightcap is an allowance race. Three and up, Phillies and Mares going seven and a half on the turf. Jessica, we'll ask you the key question. How are we going to get paid? Well, I think you have to go pretty deep in this race. And I am going to use one massive long shot on my ticket. That is number two, Pumpkin Bread. I know. I know this is this horse looks like a huge long shot coming in off of a serious layoff, but that one win did come on the turf and this horse just has grass influence up and down her pedigree English channel out of a kit out of a kitten's joy mare. So just turf, turf and turf. It makes sense that she broke a maiden on the grass. And I, I think it's a little encouraging that Richard Aramia gets aboard. Um, you know, he's not one of those jocks that kind of rides every race and takes every opportunity, I think. So 
that's good enough for me. I'm also going to use Gurkha Gold on the quick turnaround and also Gastown. All right, so two, one, and four for Jessica there. Certainly on Bloodlines, you you got to love the play. And I was going to just take a wild guess that pumpkin bread would be a lot better if you, if you got some cut in the ground. Not sure we're going to be seeing that on uh, on Saturday, but I mean that's that's soft turf both sides, right? With kids, really is. Yeah, interesting stuff there. I mean, super interesting horse anyway. Um, Nick Tamaro, how about you? Is is this a, a spread around and try to catch something approach, or is there something you feel like you can get stuck into here to close things out? No, I think it's a race where you want to be a little a little open to a couple of different contenders. Um, Silverscape's a horse that ran second last time out showing speed on the turf at Sam Houston behind Red Hot Moon, who's right back in this race. Taylor Secret's a horse who interested me quite a bit. I thought she got involved in a in a pretty hot pace last time out down at Fairgrounds. And, of course, the third-place finisher from that race, New Year's Eve, came right back and won the Edgewood on, uh, on Kentucky Derby weekend on Oaks Day. So... Plenty of good form lines there. The, the Bro- Broberg train duo of Glitterary and Gurkha Gold each look like they have uh, the, the capability of winning this race. They're a little on the cheaper side, though, and they're probably both going to be pretty heavily bet. The favorite that you have to talk about is Mid-Year. I mean, she's the horse to beat. I don't know if I'd be willing to take a particularly short price, but I think this is a horse who looms pretty interesting um, and a definite win candidate having scored two back at a big price and then came right back and I thought ran credibly against much tougher. She skies the limit, basically a, a stakes caliber horse in the Midwest. So I think mid-year's effort that day, plenty good. But it's one where I would be uh, I'd be using every bit of the probably three, four and six backing up with horses like the one, two, seven and eight. I have no issue with pumpkin bread at all, who really has a great amount of upside and horses like that in this scenario to me always offer appeal. And those those long shots you mentioned on the outside to toss in for a penny, the nine and the ten, or or, or just more curiosity. More so the ten than the nine, um, because it it is actually a race that I mean, according to Time Form US, it's not supposed to have a particularly fast pace. I think that a horse like Taylor Secret will be forwardly placed. Jansen Melanson has proven to be a very aggressive rider. I don't think he's giving up a potential forwardly placed trip from the inside going seven and a half on the turf at Lone Star. All right, great stuff from the team. Nick, you'll be back at some stage over the weekend with a show covering the Monday races. We're going to have, as I mentioned in an ad earlier in the show, a special newsletter dedicated to, I believe it's four different cards we're going to be covering on Monday. It's just an insane day of racing with some really interesting stuff um, all across uh, all across the country, including uh, our friends at, at Pimlico, who hopefully we're going to be doing a show for guessing there's going to be close to half a million being forced out in that uh, in that Pimlico carriage. It's at 460 anyway. going into Thursday. Okay. Oh, geez, it's that high? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, going to be we'll, huge. Yeah, we'll see. So that's going to be fun. We'll definitely – we'll get a show out for that one too. And then, of course, we've got Lone Star. We've got Nitha with the big day of New York Reds and then huge stuff in Santa Anita with a force out and, uh, and, and three grade one stakes. So Monday is the day horse players want to be in front of screens or at least have their, their phones out uh, – out with them. Jessica, where do you see most of your, obviously you'll be playing Lone Star. What, what else are you interested in participating in this weekend? Oh, it's just a super weekend. And then there are Breeders' Cup implications at Santa Anita. So it's, I mean, we're kicking off the summer technically, but also really looking ahead to the fall as that all starts to come together too. Great week, great day of racing. You know, it's a good thing we can all stay connected to racing, even if we're pretending to enjoy our families and Memorial Day barbecues or whatever. I can be like, stealth, you know, just stealthily watch, watching on my phone. It's fine. I'm very social. We can do it all. We can do it all. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's 2022. This is, you know, multitasking is, is, is the new paying attention. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned, you know, sort of hinting ahead to Breeders' Cup makes me want to put in another plug, which I've already done elsewhere in the show. But this year, I mean, at, at various times, I need both of you guys to help out 
Um, we're, we're back with Horse Player Happy Hour next week. So once again, these contests, player-friendly terms, the, the, ra- the, 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 the rake going to the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation and the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance and two Breeders' Cup betting challenge seats added to the pot. So great, great stuff. All right. You've done what you can do. I appreciate your help, gang. And uh, we'll be back soon. Bye, guys. Sounds great, my friend. Thank you. As mentioned earlier, next week, a big week of racing. It kicks off with all that fun on Monday. Tell you what, though, one of my favorite things happening next week, the return of Horse Player Happy Hour. That's going to be on Thursday. The games aren't open yet, but they will be. And you know we'll be tweeting about them, talking about them. You can sign up on horseplayers.com to play in Horse Player Happy Hour. This is a $20 feeder where the VIG, as it were, goes to charity supporting the TAA, Thoroughbred After Carolines, and the TRF, Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. And as part of it, we have available to you two seats to the Breeders' Cup betting challenge that are part of our Horse Player Happy Hour Tour. And of course, you can win in the old school way with these feeders going into big Saturday events for the Breeders' Cup betting challenge as well. If it sounds complicated, don't worry about it. We'll explain it all. What you need to know for now is there is a great player-friendly opportunity. It costs 20 bucks, and uh, the proceeds go to charity. So make sure to check that out. Horse Player Happy Hour. It will be on Thursday. Save the date. More details to come, and you can look us up on horseplayers.com. Next up on the show, it's our segment sponsored by our fans at the Japan Racing Association. And we bring back to these airwaves a woman who hasn't been on here in a minute. So I'm very glad to welcome her back, Candace Hare. Candace, what's going on? Uh, doing well. Lots of racing going on, especially in Japan right now. But I mean, here in the States, obviously, we're in the midst of Triple Crown season too. So anyone in racing knows it's a busy time. It's been a little crazy. And Monday is one of the crazier days, honestly, like low key crazier days I can remember with all the cool stuff uh, going on. I'm sure you'll be participating. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's always the way. But you are going to get things started, you know, uh your, your Monday is going to start early because it's going to carry right on through Saturday night if I if I uh, know who I'm dealing with here. And you'll be up late betting the JRA races. What do we have on tap for uh, late Saturday night, Sunday morning over in Japan? Well, we have a big one. It's going to be the Group 1 Japanese Derby. So, you know, much like the Derby here in America, we have the one in Japan. And contrary to our Derby, though, the Japanese Derby is the second leg of their Triple Crown. They go, you know, in increasing distance like... I guess pretty much everywhere other than America does. So um, we're dealing with the second leg. So we do have the return of Geoglyph, who won the Satsuki show, which was their uh, 2000 guineas, the first leg of their triple crown. What do you think uh, his chances are of stretching out successfully in the derby are? I think they're quite good. I mean, if you go back and you watch the Satsuki show, he actually was headed or I wouldn't say headed, I suppose, but his stablemate got the jump on him uh, against the leaders. And his stablemate has quite a lot of stamina on his pedigree. And yet Geoglyph was able to really run him down pretty well late. So uh, maybe maybe he'll see trouble in the final leg if he wins this and goes on there. I'm not sure. But it's hard to poke a lot of holes in him. And you know, Americans would know his sire well, of course, Geoglyph, the son of Dreyfong. Yep, Trey Fong, who certainly made his impact over here. And and interesting to see what those bloodlines are accomplishing, you know, for a horse that we thought of uh, primarily as a as a sprinter over yeah. here. But, you know, with 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 horses and blood, it doesn't always play out the way you would think just from looking at the sire's PP. That's for sure. Who do you think some of the other main contenders are? Who, who might be the main danger in terms of uh, the Derby competitors? 
It's an interesting race because almost the entire field are horses who ran in that first leg of the Triple Crown. And I'm always an advocate. I tell people, don't just think one horse is going to beat another if they face each other recently, unless you have a very, very good reason for it. And you have to remember that Geoglyph won by a length over his stablemate who finished in second. Um, so you know, that, for me, that's a pretty significant margin. You need something you know, a, a massive change of distance and equipment adjustment. Maybe the second place finisher had a really rough trip. You need something to really overturn that margin. Um, I do think there may be, maybe his stable mail will be a better suited to the 12 furlongs, but nevertheless, I'm, I'm not sure it's enough to overcome a length. I do think if you're kind of keyed in on wanting maybe the bad luck horse from the Satsuki show, I think that would be Do Deuce. Uh, Yutake Take is going to be aboard him as well. He had a very wide trip in the Satsuki show. He came from the rear of the field and he had to circle everybody for the most part. And he just wasn't able to get there in time, but he was the fastest finisher in the race. So keep that in mind. Um, but again, maybe one that will want in the St. Ledger if he does end up in that final leg of the Triple Crown. I think he'd relish that sort of a race. And here the concern I'd have for him, and maybe if you're looking for a knock against Geoglyph, is there's just no speed in this race. We saw that in the Satsuki show. There's really no difference in this race as well with so many of those horses coming back. And so it makes me want to lean to a newcomer to this field, and that's going to be Piece of Eight. This is a son of Screen Hero um, out of an Oasis Dream Mare named Treasure State, and he's undefeated. He's only raced three times in his career, so this is his first time at this level, um, but he's really just lone speed in here and that's how he's cleaned up all three of his races so far he goes out to the front and he's just able to carry his speed so well um, he's never gone over this distance but his pedigree suggests he, he should be able to handle it I mean it's never easy to win a derby on the front end especially the derbies that are contested over the turf courses and obviously we know that this derby uh, is, a, is a very testing 12 furlongs but if they leave him alone out front which i think is very possible um then piece of eight in my mind is the main danger it's just a matter of class is he good enough um, but I, I assume we'll get the price to find out i would imagine geoglyph and then his stablemate equinox your one two from uh the the satsuki show i'd imagine they're both going to be very very short so piece of eight you know if you're getting around that eight to ten ish which i think is possible um then then i think he's the one might be worth a stab. Put if you're not going to stay up, put in your bet and uh, and and find out what happened in the morning. We'll have tons of coverage on inthemoneypodcast.com as well as well as a chance to get free PPs for those wanting to take a look themselves. I did want to back up to a point you made about the primacy you give form when looking at the Japanese races, and I wanted you to speculate maybe about why that is. I mean, obviously it it, it matters in the USA. It seems like it matters more in Great Britain and Ireland. Now, my hypothesis on that is that I feel like in our racing around the tight two turns, you get a lot more trip excuses and a lot more interesting things with pace dynamics that I think can give me a reason to think a horse can, you know, make up two and a half lengths over another. And I'll, and I'll make that bet with confidence. Why do you think it is in Japan that the, that the form holds the primacy like that for you? Um, you know, it's, it's hard to answer. I, I do think maybe some of it has to, to do with you're dealing with turf routes and you tend to not have, um, a ton of trip trouble. I mean, it happens, but it's rare, uh, just because of the, 
I think you're combining the fact that you're usually going route distances over very wide turf courses for yeah. one, plenty of room. And on top of that, they're usually running at a good clip. I mean, Japanese races, you know, I think people in their head think international turf races. They think of maybe over in Ireland where it looks like they're going very slow on the front end. That's not the case in Japan. Those fields get really, really strung, strung out. And so you just don't have a lot of bad trips. And I think more often than not, the best horse wins the race. And so, yeah, form holds exceptionally well out there, um, certainly more so than, than America, although the point that I made, I, I still would maintain it in, in America as well. Um, actually, the, the point that when I first made that point on Twitter to people, it came with an American kind of turf rivalry a few years ago. If you remember um, main sequence and Twilight Eclipse, sure. they ran against each other a number of times in South Florida. And I remember that season people would say, well, I'm just picking Twilight Eclipse because he only won by a little bit. And I'd always just say, well, but but why? Why is he going to win now? So I always kind of try to push to people. If there is a significant margin, which to me is you know half a length or more, then you need a justifiable reason to overturn that form if it's you know a short period of time between races. For sure. I, and that's right. Condition would be another reason why you could make that case. One's off a layoff, one's second off a layoff, yeah. that kind of thing. But I think what you the points you made were all very important about, you know, in a route race, you've got more opportunity to overcome trouble in a wide course you know, on the turf, especially the, the amount that you're, you know, running, really running full speed. If you're a closing type horse, it, you know, that that's, that makes it easier to get a clean, to position yourself as a rider, to get that, to get that clean run through. So those are, those are all reasons why that, uh, that, that makes complete sense to me. And then of course the fun application, then sort of next level application of that stuff. And I'm assuming you're going to tell me this works pretty well in Japan as well is collateral form, looking at how close horses were to common rivals and trying to plot a course based on that. I find that actually super underrated in USA racing where everything is so much, um, you know, geared seemingly in the market towards speed figures, you can learn a lot by seeing how close they were to, to other horses who you have a pretty good confidence are a good, what you'd call yardstick of form. So is it, I imagine that concept is, is very strong in the Japanese form analysis as well. It is. And it's a real key when we go through this triple crown and triple tiara series, because every now and then you'll get a filly or two, not in this particular derby, but you'll get a filly or two that will run in the in the males races, whether it's the Satsuki show or sometimes in the St. Ledger or sometimes in those three year old mile races. You'll get a, a filly or two come over. And that usually gives us a really good kind of comparison of how the three year old fillies crop compares to the three-year-old males crop and then that winds up being key of course in in our fall season because that's when you're seeing them all take each other on i think maybe one reason why we don't pay as much attention to that collateral form in america is because even as older horses our fillies and mares are largely separated from the males and in other countries they have to face each other at the highest level and so you really pay attention to it when they're three to kind of get that guide before they take each other on it's a great point. Candace, thank you so much. We'll have you back soon. I hope you have a fantastic long weekend. Thank you. You as well. To conclude today's show, we bring in one of my all-time favorite guests. She's always great. People, uh, all-time favorite people. <laughs> well, I'm not, you know, we're getting we're getting there. We're getting there. Okay, okay. okay. We're getting there. You may be jumping the gun slightly. Help us out. Come into uh coming to, to Lexington to do our final answer show. Does such a great job week in, week out on the owner's box with Billy Koch. Though I do have some issues with the guest for this week. Like that guy's head isn't big enough. You got to puff it up even more.
by having oh, don't Jonathan. Don't worry. I called him out. I totally okay. called him out. I was like, uh, excuse me, sir. You have told me you don't know which end eats and which end poops. <laughs> the voice you hear, you recognize the inimitable tones of Michelle You, Michelle, how are things? I'm doing good, Pete. So before we dive into this Golden Hour Pick 4 on Saturday, I want to talk about this whole contest program that we've got at Santa Anita this weekend. What a weekend at Santa Anita, because in addition to these contests, which I'll let you tell the, the listeners about, this Monday card is going to be amazing. I'm going to be doing a special show on that one, covering the uh, mandatory payout in the pick six, and also talking about uh, the, those grade one stakes races going on. Michelle being very careful now because she knows people are watching on YouTube and she knows the lip readers were after her after the last time she pulled this trick of uh, that thing, to- right? <laughs> I'm doing a show. Can you take your coins and go? My kid's obsessed with money right now. So anytime there's like coins sitting anywhere, he's like a niffler and he's like, <laughs> and then he like takes out the coins. You're not? Okay. Obsessed you with money. Obsessed Thank with you. money is very much many of our listeners are going to have deep deep sympathy with that and my daughter's going to appear here in in less than five minutes to tell me it's time to go to taekwondo class so okay so we're we're going to hurry up then and and get through what is going on this weekend um i mean it's crazy we're gonna have a four-day weekend and just for fun just so you guys all know on monday we do have special holiday racing for memorial day it is dollar day so it's dollar beers dollar sodas and two dollar hot dogs and it's always like one of my favorite things that goes on as far as the contests are concerned we do have two different contests going on we have a 500 dollars live money challenge on saturday and you can play that either on track or at express bet and if you're on track there's also a chance to win a five thousand dollar cash bonus uh, we are also going to be having the $1,500 Gold Cup Challenge, and that also on Express Bet or on track. And that one has uh, NHC seats as well as Pegasus World Cup seats. So I think that's going to be super fun. And again, on track players, the ability to have a $5,000 bonus for that. I mean, the, the $5,000 bonus is great, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm not lying. I'm, showing, I'm turning up for the dollar beers. And I'm oh. still not sure of the economics of the hot dog being twice as much. Okay, as let me tell you two stories about that. So first of all, the original like promotion was going to be dollar sodas, dollar popcorn, dollar hot dogs. Well, I don't know how I got it in my head that it was dollar beers. And I started to promo it as dollar beers, dollar sodas. And all these people were like lining up, like we want our dollar beers, you know? And they were like complaining and like, Everyone in marketing is like, who said it was? <laughs> and I was like, is, is it not? Is it not dollar beers? <laughs> I have been saying dollar beers for like a week, so they oh ended up God. having to like do the dollar beers. But it was such a success, they kept up the dollar beers. Phenomenal. And I think one of the reasons that we've moved to the two dollar hot dogs is literally because people come up and they order like forty hot dogs. And like, then the lines are like, we will have like 20 hot dog stations. Right. And like people just come up, they're like everything. And, you know, and so it just makes it where like, if they're $2 hot dogs, it makes it just a little bit more expensive for people like, all right, I just need 10. You know what I mean? But yeah, that's very smart. People that's are coming true. up and ordering like 40 at a time. So like, it's kind of like the people spoil stuff for everybody yeah. else. Yeah, you know? I get it. I, I told as soon as you started explaining it, I got it. But I'll say this, you know, they they may they may build a statue of you to rival the one of Seabiscuit famously <laughs> at Santa Anita for getting the dollar beers and the fact that that tradition has continued. I mean, you've had a lot of achievements in this game, but I'm, I'm not sure there's too many better than that. Dollar I'm not beers. Lie. 
dollars. <laughs> we'll start chanting the next time we see you. Right? Oh my goodness, that's fantastic stuff. And One other note on the contest. That was our, oh, so go ahead, finish your contest. I want to tell you what something else that's going on real quick. Love it. Uh, there uh, are also feeders to both those contests, express bet only. So if you're an early bird listening to the show before Saturday, on Friday, $80 Santa Anita um, challenge feeder. So you can win into the Saturday event. And then likewise, on Sunday, $150 express bet only. You can win into the, the one on Monday. But definitely turn up. If you have the ability to turn up for those bigger contests, um, you know, express bet's great and all, but like get a chance to play for 5,000 more. Enjoy the mm -hmm. dollar uh, beers. What else is going on? Uh, we also do have a couple of guarantees. So Saturday and Monday, we're going to have a guaranteed half a million dollar late pick five sequence. And then we are also going to be doing a mandatory payout of our rainbow pick six on Monday. Great stuff. All right. We're here to talk about the Saturday golden hour pick four. It kicks off right there at Santa Anita with a stakes race, which is always fun to see. We've got the Mel Air for three-year-old Calbred Phillies going a mile and a 16th on the dirt. How do we want to get this bet kicked off, Michelle? I mean, to me, this race is so challenging because none of these Phillies are proven uh, going a route of ground, especially not a mile and 16th and on dirt. So to me, that made it more of a toss up type race. I'm probably going to go with three Captain Obvious horses, but this is where I'm going to land with Rose Maddox for Steve Miotti because she did have a win at least going a mile two back and she has won a race on dirt. So hopefully she's just one of those quintessential Calbreds that can run on anything. I do want to include Big Switch. She was crushed in the Santa Ynez, but I thought she came back and she didn't run a terrible race last time down the hill. She gets back to dirt, which I think is her best uh, footing, and she fits at the class level. The question is just, can she route? Um, and I'm hoping that she can. And then I'm also going to include the three Everly's girl, if I have the money for it, for Brian Coroner. This filly's never routed before, but I like a filly that has speed. Because when you look through, I feel like it's her or maybe it's simple that, uh, that are going to be the two pace setters. And if Everly's girl can shake loose, there's a chance she might be able to hold on. She was bested by it simple last time, but that was on the grass. Uh, and at least we've seen her run in a stake before. She didn't run great that day, but it was also first start versus winners. I mean, I can give her some excuses. So she's kind of like my fringe horse. A complicated race, but in the end, as easy as one, two, three for Michelle. Let me pause on that point you made about cowbred breeding. I'd never really thought about that before. Is that a thing? Cowbred. A lot is that the thing though that a lot of them are are surface equal. Like you don't see as much yeah. specificity. So basically, if you want to be a successful Calbred, because we have our Golden State program, so it's a preset series of races. And like, if you're a three-year-old filly, it's not going to be like, there's not going to be a whole series of dirt sprints and a whole series of turf routes, right? You have your eight races throughout the year that you can target for these $100,000 plus purses. So in order to maximize on those specific races and to pay to be a Calbred, you certainly want to be able to run on everything. So if you can run long, short dirt turf and possibly chuck in a synthetic out here and there, <laughs> uh, you have the ability to run the gamut because all of these races are spaced well enough that you could run in all of these in your division, right? Uh, as you get into like the older male, they tend to kind of stretch them out a little bit where make there's like there's like three sprint races and then some miles and then some, you know, so you could maybe hit up a couple of those. But really, if you are a multi-surface threat and a multi-distance threat, um, you are the quintessential Calbred. I like the idea of that. And do you think it's worked its way into the breeding? In, yes, in a certainly. Yeah. I, I, I think so. I, like When we're looking at horses that we want to buy and that are Calbred, I mean, we're always looking at, okay, is this horse going to be able to do X, Y, and Z? Like, is it great to have a, you know, a grazing 
that, yeah, sure, that's great because, you know, they'll, they'll most likely run on grass. But Graysons are not impossible on turf or on dirt, and they're not impossible sprinting, even though you think of them as a router. So, you know, certainly that does play into um, I'm looking at what sires that you want to go ahead and use for these calbred horses. A, a sire that is throwing animals that can run on everything and at multiple distances just gives you more hope that your horse is going to be able to be a good calbred. Let's move up north. Golden Gate Fields, race number eight, three and up Philly and Mare allowance types going a mile and a 16th on the turf. Oh, I didn't get my picks in the I first race. Say, you're not I'm rushing. Me. No, no, you're I'm giving picks on the first Billy race. That. Billy makes me do picks and doesn't say anything. No, <laughs> no, no. I went with Big Switch. Um, I think this is the better surface. I think on pedigree should be able to stretch out. Sadler has a good record with these type of layoffs. I bit captain obvious, but that was the, the first one I wanted to mention. I also want to mention with a, a great film reference in the name, number six, Ute, your honor, a question mark going the distance for sure on dirt, but the way this one is passed most, uh, most other tests, I think is a contender. I don't really see the excuse for the last run. Maybe got cooked being a little closer than usual. But uh, Ute, Your Honor, has been consistent enough before that I'm going to give another chance um, in Santa Anita's race eight, which now takes us so to Golden singling? Gates. What's that? You're singling? No, I'm going with the two. I'm going to go two six. Oh, two eight. Okay. I thought you were like vice versa. Okay. Sorry. No, no. I'm going to go two six. And then look, I mean, it's just the kind of thing where in the golden hour, especially, I tend not to get spready in these first two mm -hmm. legs with the thought of, you know what, I'll just come See, back. I do the now. opposite. I'm like spread and then narrow it down because <laughs> I want to use... get past. I hate being out the first leg. I It's not fun, but like the fact is then you only have to suffer one race and you're right back in the double. So th that's <laughs> that's my logic. I don't know if it's right or not. Um, let me give you my very quick thought on Golden Gate race eight. I really did like the number four Bellamore a lot. And with that same idea, if, if, if I'm wrong, I'll come back in the double. I was just going to use the four. Well-spotted, shipping up from Southern California. First turf, but on the blood, might be better on the surface. And I just thought the key thing for me was had the right combination of speed and stamina for this group, which doesn't have a ton of speed. So I think Bellamore can be forward and uh, finish best of all in Golden Gates. Eighth, how did you see it, Michelle? So I liked the one natural cover for color for Manny Badia coming off of win. I mean, this horse came off the layoff and looked really good coming from just off the pace on the surface in which she prefers. I think she should be able to stretch out successfully. Um, I also used assignation for Steve Sherman. I thought the last two races were really good. Again, proven turf form in uh, that particular horse and this one, if there is pace, should be able to run at it. And if there isn't, is the horse that can lay closer. Not every horse can lay close, even if they're going slow, right? They just like to be further back. So I like the fact that this horse is relatively versatile. And if I have the money to go one more, which I think I am, because I'm going to single later, I would use a Music Festival for Steve Sherman off the drop. All right, Music Festival, who is number two, two. at a price. I so, have yeah. no numbers. Oh, is it a price? I have no numbers and no um, odds on my. My screen is like old. It's early, see? So there's like nothing on it. <laughs> I like the demo. I like the little demo. There we go. Oh. We should get sponsorship from both Daily Racing Form and the company that makes the ring light, for those of you who are watching on, on, on YouTube. Yeah, 12 to 1 on the morning line for Music Festival, which is also a great name. So yeah, we'll... We will not win or lose. We will win or lose separately, it sounds like, in, in Golden Gates 8. But maybe we'll get back on the same page as we head back down south to another stakes race at Santa Anita, where we've got three and up Cal bred fillies and mares in the Franz Valentine stakes going one mile. 
Michelle, who do you like in here? Okay, so I like Alice Marble in here. She's coming off a really good runner-up in the Monrovia, and you know that was going six and a half. She is going to be stretching out to two turns for the first time, but I think she can do it. She's by Grayson again, wonderful cabaret sire. She's out of a more than ready mare to me that says she should be able to handle the two turns in here. So I certainly want to go ahead and use her. I think I'm going to single her. But if I don't, I'm going to use self-isolation as well in here. And, and I say I don't know because there could be scratch. You know what I mean? Like some things yes. can come into play. So I'm kind of giving you like a larger ticket. But right now I'm, I'm highly considering singling Alice Marble on class alone. But if I'm going to use two horses, it's going to be self-isolation as well for Doug O'Neill. She has won two of her last three outs. She is proficient at a mile on the grass. And she is stepping up in class today, but I thought she ran decently last time versus open company um, to think that she might be able to be competitive here. The only drawback for both my Phillies, I feel like they want to be towards the front end. So I hope they don't just duel themselves into submission. That would be frustrating. But I do think Alice Marble will be able to shake loose. That was my pick as well. Has the best form and figures and a possible pace edge. I might do one small backup with number three, Fifi Farrow on the American Farrow getting to turf angle. Though I will say, I looked up the data she and tried think, turf, and she ran like garbage that day. Yeah. And, and, there and, were two grade one winners in front of her. So, like. It, it, I, I, was willing to, I was willing to forgive that. I was willing to just sort of view this as a complete start over. And But you know what is funny about the Faro turf thing is it is, like, slightly true. I looked up, like, all the numbers, and the average Faro. He was, like, a two-year-old sire, right? Like, I felt like we saw a lot of juveniles and his, like, early crops be turfy, but now it's kind of, like, It's leveling away. out. It's leveling out. I think the thing is they need more time than you would have guessed. They're not, like, super precocious. Like, his first-time starter numbers are not great, but mm -hmm. they get better later. But it is true that on in aggregate, on average, you know, two to three buyer points faster on, on turf. But like the percentages are actually better on dirt. So the, uh, the dirt, dirt, the better. We're not. Dirt, at I like dirt. Yeah, that, yeah, I've that's seen some tracks that have dirt. <laughs> we love Gulfstream. Important sponsor to the show, but you have to make the joke when it comes up. But I will say this. The um, the, the, the win percentage is um, very, very strong. It, 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 what's, which is what's telling me that as we go on, I think the better ones might be on dirt. So anyway, we'll see. There's always a cycle in the way this stuff evolves, and it's kind of fun to follow, especially with a horse like American Pharaoh that everybody remembers and loves. Okay, last race. We just have a couple of minutes left. Race number nine at Golden Gate. We've got three-year-old maiden claimers, $12,000 level, six furlongs on the synth. Michelle, how are we going to get paid? So I like Royster as my top selection in here. He's first-time gelding for Isidro Tamayo. He is stepping up in class, unfortunately, which is not always an angle that I love. But he's been relatively consistent in his last two to say that maybe the gelding is going to help him move forward and punch through with that victory. Um, again, if there's any shuffling around my like b column horse would be too late to call for tim mckenna taking a class drop down but has tried this level before to no avail but i love a horse at a turn back in distance and this horse routed last time and is coming back to sprinting so uh you know if, if there's some scratches around there or something happens that would be my b selection too tall to call the two runner behind royster the three runner have you uh in your in your single days had you did you ever meet a man who was too tall to call no <laughs> no i'm pretty short though most people are taller than me so it's like meh. just fits in i was gonna use the favorite the five frisco kid has that big I feel like we used back. that horse last time didn't we yeah 
dropping. I mean, it just seemed master of the obvious, but a horse I didn't want to get beat by in this. I thought that the one, the chief has tricks. This horse caught my eye a little bit. And now I see 15 to one on the morning line. The last race was on turf and against elders. The best run, you got to dig back in the PPs. It was four races back, but it was on the lead. Maybe from the rail without a ton of speed here. Maybe they try to make the lead again with the one runner. Uh, the chief has tricks. I'll try it 5-1. Michelle is 3-2. and two. Hopefully we gave folks some ideas to help them out in this uh, golden hour pick four on Saturday. But in any case, you got to get involved at Santa Anita this weekend with these contests. And especially on Monday with uh, with the force out and the dollar beers. And and thank you once yes. again, Michelle, for, for bringing us the dollar beers. We horse players, we appreciate it. We appreciate you. Oh, thank you. It's uh, my pleasure to bring dollar beers to everybody at no expense of my own. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. If you're listening on audio, we kicked off with uh, JK. We'll thank him. We had Dallas Baker, Nick Tamaro, Jessica Paquette, Candace Hare, and of course, Michelle Yu. We'll thank our founding partners, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation and 10 Strike Racing. Always appreciate their support, really helping us get moving and grooving on these airways. But most of all, we appreciate all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos! <laughs>